What an amazing morning. I feel like we could just go home now and it would be complete, almost, but we got a little bit more to do yet. Uh, welcome here, everybody. Uh, happy Easter to you. And he is risen. He is risen indeed. If you've never heard that before, it's been around, I think, for centuries, but maybe that's new to you, so let's try it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we're here, to celebrate and to glorify him. So welcome. If it's your first time here, a special welcome to you. We want to get to know you. There's a, a little welcome card on some of the chairs around you. If, there, if there's none by you, you can pick one up at the desk on your way out. The ladies there would be uh, more than happy to give you one of those. And if it's your first time, a little gift that we have for you as well, you can pick up. My name is Eldon, and I'm pastor here at, uh, at this beautiful place called Agassiz, our campus for Central Community Church. I love this church. I love you. And it's my privilege to be able to open up God's word today. We, for the past 40 days, we have been doing a series uh, through the season of Lent and the lead up to this morning called The Road to the Cross. And uh, every good uh, road trip, as you've heard me share stories week by week, um, has a goal. It has a destination. For Jesus, it was God's road, road trip where he decided to leave home. He became flesh, one of us, that's Christmas, where he came to visit this earth and he walked this earth for 30-some years, and he gave his life as a perfect payment and sacrifice for sin. And that was his goal. He had his face set to Jerusalem where he would lay down his life. And Friday now is behind us, and we're here on Sunday, and the, the, the trip is returning home where the tomb was opened, and he will ascend back to heaven, and that's our text for today. I'm actually going to, and he completes the road trip. It's such an awesome thing. And uh, today I'm actually going to extend beyond verse 12 that was read for us all the way to 53. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to pull parts out of it that will, uh, four things that we're going to understand as Jesus completes this uh, road trip and he goes back home to the Father. Four things in the, uh, the, to conclude this series that are just so awesome about Easter Sunday. Number one that uh, we discover in the first 12 verses that were read for us is that the tomb was empty. We have to hang our hat on the fact that the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. I'm going to pull a few verses here. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they, meaning the women who went to embalm the body of Jesus with spices, they couldn't do it on Saturday, so they waited till Sunday when they could come and, and actually be near a dead body. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. And then it says they were perplexed about this. And while they were perplexed, the men said to them, the two men in dazzling clothes, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. They expected to find a dead body and they found the fact that Jesus was not there. It's kind of like, uh, you know how it is when your kids are learning to drive and they borrow the car and you have this expectation that they will return it full. Maybe it's your spouse, but I don't want to rub any salt in any wounds or cause fights on Easter Sunday. But you go in the next day to start the car and lo and behold, it's empty. And you're perplexed by this. It should be full. And these women showed up and it's like the tomb should be occupied, but it's empty. What's going on here? But the, it, was, it was a different reaction. It was a perplexion of amazement. Wow, this is, this is awesome. This is a good thing. Matthew Henry, uh, a commentator, said this, note good Christians often perplex themselves about, what, about that with which they should comfort and encourage themselves. These women were perplexed. What is going on here? And 
And uh, the two men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? That word, the living, is one word in the original language the Bible was written in. And it is a very, very specific and intentional, intentional word that means to become alive again. It literally means the living refers to a dead person who returned to life. We don't have such a word in English. The living is important that that word was used because this was not a fake death. This was not fake news. <laughs> this was not, oh, they thought he was dead and he just resuscitated while he was in the tomb for a couple of days and revived after being unconscious. This wasn't, oh, the body of Jesus was stolen and now they've hid it somewhere. No, Dr. Luke, a medical doctor who wrote this gospel, knew for a fact that Jesus was dead, but that he returned to life. The empty tomb means that Jesus is alive, <laughs> and he still is alive. This has huge implications for our lives. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the anchors of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul spent a lot of time writing about this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, where he asked the question on the opposite side, what if Christ had not been raised from the dead? Where would that leave us? And he came to seven conclusions. Now my wife is panicking. She's like, we're gonna, we got to hit the road to get to Calgary after this service, and we're going to be here till 3 o'clock talking about these. <laughs> no, just kidding. Real quick. If Christ has not been raised, Paul said, number one, our preaching is useless, and number two, so is our faith. There's no, there would be no reason for us to sit here this morning Maybe some of you think my preaching is useless anyway. That's beside the point. But Paul said, our preaching is useless and so is your faith if Christ had not been raised for the dead. Billy Graham, I just love the way he put it. He said, people are lost outside of Christ. To be saved, they need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If there was no other reason for going to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel and winning souls, the command of Christ would be reason enough. We have reason to declare the goodness of God in the risen Christ. Paul said, number three, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, we are found to be false witnesses. Number four, if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins. So many people live under the burden of sin, and I want to tell you today that Jesus came and died that your sin, to be paid for your sin, to take it upon himself so that you can trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, that your burden can be lifted, that you can live free. That's why Christ died and was raised to life again, that we might have life and not be anchored down by the burden of sin. Number five, and the penalty of sin, which is death. Number five, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, those who are asleep in Christ or those who have died in Christ are lost. Oh my goodness, if we don't believe that those who have died in Christ, those who have believed in Christ are not lost but saved, we have no hope. I heard about a, uh, a strong Christian uh, um, man who uh, he and his wife uh, had lived many years together, were married many years, and he was a leader in the church, and he died. And the people were consoling his wife, and one of them said, I'm so sorry that you've lost your husband. And she said, he's not lost. <laughs> I have not lost my husband. My husband is alive. I will see him again. He's not lost. I have hope because he had faith in Christ. And that's the, that's the hope that we have, that those who die before us, we will meet them again if, if their faith is in Christ. Number six, Paul said, if, you're, if Christ has not been raised, we have no hope for the future, but we have hope, and we can live that way. The future looks bleak right now, doesn't it? 
out there. That's the way of the world. It's not the way of God. The way of God means that we have hope and we have to anchor and our, ourselves and, and fix our sights upon Jesus so that we can continue to live with hope and point people to the kingdom of God which is coming in its fullness and all things will be made new. Amen? This world is deteriorating rapidly but Christ will make it new. We have to just hang on to him. Number seven, if Christ has not been raised, we are to be pitied more than all mankind. Oh, don't ever pity me. Christian, don't let anyone ever pity you, ever. We have no reason to walk around with pity. We have every reason to walk around with our head held high because of Christ. What I love what the, this, this, the first 12 verses signals about the resurrection in our life. Number one is, is just newness. It's newness. And it's so fitting that spring is, uh, that Christmas, or uh, sorry, Easter is that spring, is in springtime. I'm all over the map today. I'm so excited. I don't even know what I'm thinking up here. <laughs> springtime. It's when calves are born. You see this new life, like birds, eggs, robins, birds chirping. Like there's newness all around us. I love the story. The, the first day of the week and the first thing in the morning, they rose early. It was new. It was different. They had always worshipped on a Saturday. They weren't allowed to be around a dead body on Saturday. That's why the women went on Sunday. And they found that the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive and it signaled a brand new way of things. That's why we worship on Sundays. It's good to get up early and spend time with God. Romans chapter 6, a picture of what we did here today. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. New, different, exciting, life-giving. I want to ask you this morning, do you need a fresh start? I love the story. That last girl there, like she, well, the last two of them, loneliness, depression, thoughts of suicide, they needed a fresh touch of God and they received it. Do you need a fresh touch from God this morning? Do you need a fresh start? Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need hope? Your response to Jesus today in faith and in trust in what he did for you can be the beginning of a whole new life. I promise you. Not a perfect life on this side of heaven, but a whole new life where you can walk with a spring in your step and a different perspective. Would you trust in him today? Would you put your faith in him? Scripture says that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he conquered death, He conquered sin. He overcame the grave and he defeated Satan at the cross and through his resurrection, which which made all of it make sense. If we confess that with our mouth, that Jesus is that Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, scripture says, you will be saved. You will be saved. That is amazing. It's so life-giving. You know, the, the, the women who ran to the tomb, they were perplexed until they saw Jesus. Ten apostles of the twelve, one had died already, Judas. Peter, on the other hand, when he heard the news, he ran. He ran to the tomb. The day before, he ran from Christ. This day, he ran to Christ. 
He had a new energy. He had a new vitality. He had a new purpose. And it says that Peter went home marveling at what had happened. The women were perplexed. One person marveled, and the other ten actually, um, they had doubt. And the, the, the neat thing about the Easter story is that it allows for a response from everybody. Maybe this morning you're perplexed by all of this. You've never seen a baptism. Maybe today you're marveling at just reflecting on what Christ did to you. Maybe some of you are doubting. And into that doubt, the second thing that we see in this passage is that the scripture was opened. The scripture was opened. So I love what happens after, uh, you know, the women went back, told Peter. Peter takes off and goes back to the tomb. The other 10, they're hanging their heads. They just don't believe what happened. Where's Jesus? They killed him and now he's gone. And so two of them start walking on this road to a small village in the country named Emmaus. And they're walking on this road and they're just kind of like, oh man, like this sucks. <laughs> this is the worst day ever. And Jesus shows up beside them and says, what are you talking about? What are you guys discussing as you walk along? They didn't recognize him. And he says, and they said to Jesus, well, what, like, what do you mean? Are you like, are you new to town? You haven't heard what happened? Jesus says, what happened? <laughs> I love the, how he's, he's just toying with him. He's just stringing him along. Tell me, what happened? <laughs> and so they said, well, the rulers of the people, they put Jesus to death and they put his body in a tomb and now we can't find him. And then we pick it up here in verse 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And, and, then, and then it says they, they walked along and they still didn't recognize him. And then he sat down with them and he broke bread with them. And all of a sudden their eyes were open. In verse 32, they said to each other, after Jesus revealed himself and then he disappeared, he said, did, or not, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Earlier on, before Jesus' death, John chapter 5, he said to his followers, he said, if you, believe, if you believed Moses, you would believe in me. Because Moses wrote of me. But you do not believe, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Friends, the scriptures, the Bible, is so important to us, particularly in times of doubt and in times of fear. Careful study of the word of God will point us to Jesus and Christ will make himself known to us and help us make sense of our lives and of the world just as he did for his closest followers 2,000 years ago. As Jesus opened up the Bible to them, all of a sudden it says that their eyes were open and their hearts burned within them and their and their minds were open, and their eyes were open. Romans chapter 10, Paul said, so faith, believing in Christ, comes through hearing. That's what we're doing today. We're hearing the word of God, and hearing through the word of Christ. We cannot have faith in Christ unless we hear it in the word. And uh, Luke tells us that 
those who doubted, all of a sudden it, it just made sense to them as Jesus opened the Bible. Their eyes, their minds were opened, their hearts burned within them. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing to a young church leader. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and from how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's his word and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every work. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews 4, verse 12, and it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any, any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need to be in the word and have God open it for us that we might understand. The third thing we see in the Easter story is that the a mission, the mission was given. God had a task now for his followers after they understood what had happened. He said in verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You know what? Hearing these baptism stories and seeing what happened here today makes me more committed than ever to live on mission, to live on purpose, because lives are changed. I am more committed than ever to share the good news about Jesus because when we do that, lives literally are saved. And that's worth it all. From these few verses here about our mission, we see three things that are important to the witness that God has given to us. Number one, it needs to be focused on the gospel. The gospel just simply means good news. And good news, Jesus said, involves two things. You have to talk about my death and my resurrection. <laughs> you have to. That's important. Um, many of us have heard John 3.16, probably the most quoted verse in all time, right? John 3.16 and 7, 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He didn't just give his son to walk among us. He gave his son who laid down his life. That's what it means to give, to sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son unto death, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the reason we can have that is because Christ is alive. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the gospel must include the death and resurrection of Christ. And Jesus said, your witness must include a message of repentance and forgiveness. I love the word repentance. It's not a bad word. Do you know what the word repent means? <laughs> it means to do a 180. When we're walking this way, away from Christ, it means we just simply turn around and walk towards Christ, towards his will and his purpose and the life that he has for us. And until we're ready to turn from the way we're going to Christ and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, which he paid for on the cross, then we will not have life. 
But John, 1 John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, if we turn, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we put our faith in him, the Bible says that he now becomes our righteousness. We don't have any on our own, but Christ becomes our righteousness for us. He makes us right with God. We cannot do that ourselves. Paul summarizes the gospel well in 1 Corinthians 15, the first eight verses. He said, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared, note, the tomb was empty, <laughs> that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared, the tomb was empty, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared, the tomb was empty, to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared the tomb was empty also to me. I think Paul is trying to make a point that the tomb was empty. Our witness, the mission that God gave us must be focused on the gospel, that, the good news. It must be globally reaching, proclaimed to all nations, beginning in our hometown, but across the world. We're committed to that as a church. And it must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. We don't save anybody. We're just asked to share what we've seen and heard. That's what a witness does. And then you step off the stand and the Holy Spirit just does everything. The Holy Spirit, it helps us to do that. But the Holy Spirit is who changes people into who he wants, God wants them to be. And then salvation is complete in the sense that we're forgiven of our sin, but it's still ongoing in, fact, in terms of the Holy Spirit bringing transformation to our lives until we finally see Jesus face to face. Billy Graham, again, to quote him, he said, Christ has commanded that if we proclaim the, commanded that we proclaim the gospel, it is not optional. We have no choice. We are ambassadors under authority. I am convinced that if we really believe people are lost apart from Jesus Christ, it would become a burning incentive to evangelize with zeal and with passion. We've been given a mission. The last thing that we see in the Easter story is that the response was radical. The last four verses. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, Jesus, he blessed his followers. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Road trip complete. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What does a radical response to Jesus look like? Four things. Number one is worship. Do you know what worship means? It just means to give God glory. We ascribe to him the worth and the glory that he deserves. In Revelation 5, an amazing chapter of the last book of the Bible, we, John sees a picture of heaven. He sees a, a vision of God. God is on the throne. And in his hands, he's holding a scroll. And the scroll is sealed up. 
And he asked, who's worthy to open this scroll to see what's going to happen in the future, to see what the end result is going to be here? And nobody was found worthy except one person. And when John identified him, he said, I saw a lamb that looked like it had been slain. It looked like, because he's not dead, he's alive. And that lamb who had been slain came to the throne, to the, to the very throne of God and took the scroll and opened it and began to read. And the minute that happened, it says in scripture that everyone in heaven began to sing a new song. And they said, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And this was the only response of Jesus' followers after he revealed himself to them as being alive and he went back to heaven. They began to worship knowing that worship was going to continue for all eternity. Why wait till then? Let's begin now. <laughs> Let's begin now because of what Jesus has done. The second radical response is that they returned to Jerusalem. That's significant because that's where Jesus was put to death. Jerusalem at that point was a hotbed of hatred. It was a hostile environment. You see, to, to pledge allegiance to Christ and to stand for him means we go into a hostile environment, a world that doesn't want to hear and not shrink back in fear, but to go right back in there and tell people the good news about Jesus and what he did for them. The third radical response is one of just pure joy. They went back to Jerusalem overjoyed with praise. Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore." That should be our response to what Christ has done for us. And fourth is that they gathered in community. It says that they were always together continually in the temple. You see, our faith is sustained as we meet together, as we do things like this. You know, if the disciples needed to have their minds and their, uh, you know, uh, their hearts burn and their minds open to the things of God, to his word, we, how much more do we need to gather together to have our minds open and our ears open to the things of God, to, to have the scriptures explained to us? How much more do we need to get together and break bread together that Christ might be revealed among us? And that's what they did. They gathered with the church, with other followers, so that they could stay strong in their faith. Hebrews 10, love what Paul said. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up, up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, what a beautiful picture again of baptism. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is, 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, the day is drawing near. We have to keep encouraging one another and meeting together. Listen, on that first Easter, the tomb was empty and it still is. It still is. And because Jesus rose from the dead, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Your marriage can be given a new life. Your rebellious son or daughter can return home. Your outlook on life can completely change. Your hopeless perspective on life can be turned around. You can be given the assurance of eternal life. On that first Easter, the tomb was empty and it still is. On that first Easter, the scripture was opened and it still must be. On that first Easter, a mission was given and we're still on it. (laughs) To see the entire eastern Fraser Valley transformed by the gospel for the glory of God and the good of all people as we become authentic followers of Jesus who lead others to follow him. That's our mission. And on that first Easter Sunday, the response was radical. Would you respond to Jesus today? Would you respond to this good news? Worship him, live for him, be filled with joy, and find encouraged by by meeting with us weekly here at Central. Join the church. I want to conclude with one verse from 1 Peter. I think this ties it all together. The very last verse there, Mary. 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's let's pray together. Why don't we stand for prayer and then we're going to just end with a, a song. Oh God, my heart today is so filled with joy. It is so filled with joy that that Easter, the resurrection, makes a difference. You are alive. (laughs) Your word has power as it reveals to us who you are. You've given us a task to do. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we're here to worship you because of what you've done for us. We give you all glory, honor, praise, majesty. It belongs to you, for you were the lamb who was slain. And you're alive again. We praise you. We thank you. We do so with joy in Jesus' name. Amen.